2: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
3: With you until 6.30. We're Grant and Danny. This is the fan. In one hour, when Mark Schlereth joins us, we got another chance for you to win Wizards tickets this evening. Kick off your future with the law firm of Kondori and Murad. They can help protect your assets, update your will and trust, schedule a free estate planning strategy with one of their Fairfax-based attorneys. Visit camlawyers.com and mention the show to score yourself a discount. That's camlawyers.com. They've been working with my father the last few weeks, getting them set up with some paperwork. So I appreciate them. They've made it really easy and seamless for him. They've done a good job. These guys are awesome. KMlawyers.com. Uh, let's go to the BetQL guest hotline. Bet Smarter to Beat the Books. Download the BetQL app, visit betql.com. Welcome our buddy Jay Gruden onto the show.
4: On air and on the road, Jay Gruden is driven by the Tedbert Automotive Group, Ted Britt Ford and Chantilly and Fairfax, your mm-hmm. F-150 headquarters, and Tedbert Chevrolet in Sterling, home to Ted Britt for life. Lifetime vehicle coverage, see and shop at tedbert.com. Jay, I haven't been on social media today. Any
3: sparring matches we need to know about?
1: No, nothing at all. I just played a little golf today and
3: hung out with some buddies, and now I'm here. So you were watching football. You sent a tweet about how bad the uh, – Protection for Jalen Hurts was and their plan against the blitz was. And then you just, you started taking some, some shots from all angles. What happened there with Robert and and our own buddy here, B Mitch who works at the station.
1: Uh, B Mitch came off the top rope, man. I don't know where, you know, he's never liked me for, for some reason, you know, I guess, uh, you know, he's been always very critical and, uh, he came out of nowhere and says, just, just go away, Jay. And then obviously Robert did his little eye emoji thing. And, um, So like why he wasn't prepared. And, you know, I just, you know, I was making a comment on the game. I mean, golly, how many free runners can there be in one one half for one game? I've never seen that many Buccaneer jerseys running free up the middle or free off the edge, and Jalen was just getting bamboozled. I wasn't criticizing the coach, or maybe it was Jalen's fault. I don't know. I just, I just never seen that many free runners, that's all.
3: I just, not only that, I couldn't believe that they didn't make an adjustment. It seemed like the entire game they just dropped back. They had three guys out in routes, basically. They were fairly well covered. And He's throwing off his back foot as the blitz is getting home, and they didn't really do much about it. But next thing you know, Robert's coming for you. So uh, you you went back and, and critiqued Robert's preparation. I guess uh, all all is well now between you guys. You guys having a golf a, a date soon?
1: I haven't. I haven't looked. I, he just said uh, he he acted like he wasn't prepared, and I just said you weren't prepared, Robert, because you know we had a pretty good staff here with you know Sean and. Well, uh, that was the last comment
3: that everyone. I, I think if you weren't here, you didn't know what that comment meant. They thought, like, oh, Jay's taking the high road to end this thing and and taking the L, basically, where you said, sorry, Robert, we just didn't do a good enough job. That staff obviously had, among others, Sean McVay and Shane Waldron, now with the Seahawks. After that, Kevin um, O'Connell.
1: Wes Phillips was on there. He's a coordinator. Dave Ragone was on there, I believe. He's a coordinator at Atlanta. So uh, Bill Callahan maybe was on there. Could have been uh, uh, Chris Furster, who's doing a pretty good job at San Fran. So... I don't know. I don't know. Let's, let's let it go.
4: Is it? That's it? No more? I mean, <laughs> I, I basically, I, what I'm basically saying bigger,
1: is. He's got a bigger mic than me, man. I, I'm not getting the battle of hell. But I
3: someone speak. once told me, like, if you're going to get into it with someone, you got to get into it with someone with more mic than you. Clout you know? and, like, and reach. They might as well swing up, so to speak. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, my goal is really not to reach a lot of platform followers. That's really not my intent. I'm just trying this out for the first time and having some fun with it. Well, I think uh, you're doing it. He was, he was so just people.
3: tweeting about football. That's, that's what was just funny. About football, he, yeah. just, he just said something about the game he was watching, and all hell broke loose.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, uh, it's tough. It's tough being me. Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to eat some worms. <laughs>
4: Jay Cruden with a zero G and Uh But in all sincerity, go go back to that time a, a little bit ago, right? When you when you first arrived, and you know, sort of part of the task was to say, "Hey, 2013 didn't go particularly well for for Robert. Let's let's try to resurrect. Let's try to find out what's best for him. What was best for him? Like what what could have worked, or what you know what went away that you were you were surprised by? Like any regrets there? Just I'd love for you to walk me through that.
1: Yeah, well, we tried our best. You know, I tried to, uh, you know, the reason why, you know, I've known Sean for some time now and and I coached with him in the UFL and he coached, he was on my brother's staff for a year. And uh, so I made him offensive coordinator to try to marry some of the concepts we had with Kyle and and myself and what I wanted to bring to the table uh, from what I did with Andy Dalton and what we did at Tampa Bay. So it was a smooth transition for everybody and uh, try to do what he did well and just never worked out, never materialized. You know, Sean, you know, Robert had that injury and wanted to be more of a pocket passer, but that doesn't happen overnight. You know, He went to Baylor, didn't have a lot of, you know, West Coast concepts, you know, as more of a one-read type guy and run, uh, which he's very successful at, can't argue that. And then he had the year, uh, his rookie year, you know, 7-7, seven, seven, he won rookie of the year. He had some splash plays with some very good games. Can't argue that. Um, it just did not transition to year two, year three, year four, year five whatever reason you know he just uh he just wasn't as good as the guys we had in the building and when you're coaching football you have to play the best player in your building at every position not just quarterback and and it wasn't just me who made that decision it was everybody in the building everybody was on board that kirk slash colt they were better fit for what we were trying to do and, and maybe he lost a step with his own reads his own reads can dry out from time to time and um after the zone reads you know, what are you going to do? You know, you're going to have to throw the ball on third and five, third and eight, third and nine. You'd be behind uh, by two touchdowns. You got to come back to win. You have to throw the ball. That just wasn't what he was good at at that time. Other guys were better than him, and that was the only reason we made the change.
3: Well, yeah, I didn't even need to re legislate all of, you know, 2013 and beyond, but um, it's good insight there. And I, I just thought that the, I was just sitting there, you know, everyone's doing their emojis with the popcorn and it, it was, it was fun. Were you scrolling your phone, like waiting for responses or? But then it I just. Yeah.
1: I had some I had some guys throwing some haymakers at me, Matt, so I quit looking at those things. But uh yeah, um uh, it's interesting. I just you know, I think everybody could see that you know, I mean you can look at it now. I mean Kirk was just uh, is just a better passer, better player, and uh he's proven that. I mean he's made a lot a lot of money uh, playing quarterback and I think we made the right decision. I don't know. I could be wrong.
3: Jay Gruden on Grant and Danny here on the fan. Uh had to ask him about his uh, his sparring matches going back a couple of nights ago on social media. Now to the important stuff. Uh, are you surprised at all that the commanders are not even interviewing Belichick, Vrabel, Harbaugh, the three proven, quote-unquote, like, winner-type head coaches who have done it, rather than going with a lot of first-timers and some guys that have a lot to prove?
1: Uh, a little bit, yes. I don't think it hurts to interview a guy, and it's always good experience to interview somebody like that to, to pick their brain and see what they did, even if you don't hire them. You want to interview as many people as you can because why wouldn't you interview a Hall of Fame coach like Bill Belichick or, or a guy who's worked for Belichick like uh, Rabel or you know try to get Harbaugh, see what he's done. Uh, he went to the Super Bowl at the 49ers, and, and uh, even if you don't hire him, you pick their brain a little bit. and Maybe they have a way of doing a practice schedule or uh, personnel meetings or whatever, you can learn something. That's uh, always good to do. Uh, but it's not a horrible thing that they're not interviewing if He wants to go young to try to match a lot of guys' success in this league with Mike McDaniel Sean McVay and try to grow that way with Ben Johnson and get a young quarterback and um, marry the team for a long time together. If they hit with a young quarterback, they'll be together for a long time. It's not a bad thing either.
4: Jay Grid with us here on GND. Jay, go back to your time in, in, in Cincinnati. It, not exactly GM, but Duke Tobin is one of the lead personnel guys, director of player personnel, I forget whatever title uh, he's had there. Uh, just you know, a couple questions there. What was your relationship like with him?
1: Duke was great, yeah. He was great. He's uh, worked extremely hard. His dad was obviously involved a little bit too, and, and uh, Mike Brown was involved. We had a good, good staff. We had a really good relationship. Everybody did. Um, he worked really good, and then we had really some really strong drafts offensively when I was there. When I got there, we had no quarterback and a limited wide receiver room, and we ended up getting A.J. Green, Marvin Jones. We got uh, Mo Sanu, We got Giovanni Bernard. We got Tyler Eifert. We got Andy Dalton. Um, we got Kevin Zeitler, who's still playing for the uh, Ravens right now. Uh, so we had some really good drafts, and uh, we
4: were very successful there. Was it better or worse than your relationship with Bruce?
1: That was great because uh, we knew – how everything worked and everybody had input and we knew the final say went with Mike Brown and, and Duke and, and Marvin Lewis and it was a, just a great situation and we knew that everybody was watching film and on the same page and if you didn't get your own way, uh, we'd bitch a little bit. But uh at the end of the day we knew it was for the betterment of the football team and we all agreed and went on with our day and tried to make the team better.
4: And so I guess the long way of getting to this point of, of how important is that to have that lead personnel executive, that final voice, be able to kind of work in concert with everybody underneath them. That's something that really hasn't happened here very much in Washington for a long time.
1: Working in concert is critical, you know, and you got to understand you're not going to get your way all the time. And, and the guy who's making the final pick sometimes should bite the bullet and listen to his coaches. And sometimes he shouldn't listen to his coaches go with his gut, you know, because there's no – he's perfect at picking out players. I mean, there's, there's, uh, seriously. I mean, somebody has to be wrong. But as long as you take in the information, their, their past life, their, uh, their off the field issues, their on the field production, um, their height, weight, speed, how they fit the positions that uh, we're looking at as coaches. Um, if you take all that into account, and you think he's a good fit for the team. I think everybody can agree that we'll take him and, and work with him.
3: Do you know Adam Peters at all?
1: I do not. Had you,
3: like, heard much about him being a good executive just, like, through league circles, or is his name fairly new to you?
1: Uh, fairly new to me. I don't know a whole lot of people anymore. You know, I've never really did. I kind of had my own little small circle, and that's about it. And these guys are getting a lot younger, younger, younger every year. And um, You know, he's on a great franchise right now. They built the team in a very good way at San Francisco. They're strong at every position and done a great job via free agency and through the draft.
3: Who's more impressive to you offensively, designing, play-calling, whatever? What Bobby Slowick did this year from the Shanahan tree or Ben Johnson, who's done it for two and a half years in Detroit?
1: Uh, they're both very effective. They both have very good teams. I think Ben Johnson's probably a little bit better just because of uh, you know who the Detroit was and, and what they built there. Detroit has never been very good. They can't kind of came from nowhere. Um, they took Jared Goff, took a chance with Jared Goff, hit on some draft picks with Gibbs and Laporta, and uh, obviously, obviously Amander St. Brown. And they really built their offensive line the right way, too, through the draft. Frank Ragnow and that Sewell guy. And they're strong up front, man. And uh, they're tough, and they match the coach's identity, Coach Campbell. So it's a, it was a good fit. And then Ben has married um, what they do well with what Jared Goff does well. I like what they've done there.
4: Who are some offensive minds, maybe besides the two we just mentioned, thinking of Slowick and, and, and Ben Johnson, where you've kind of looked yeah. at and go, damn, that's pretty sharp, or that's pretty smart.
1: Well, early on, obviously, Mike McDaniel did some pretty cool things with the motions, but that kind of ran out a little bit. And, uh, you know, I've always liked what Sean does and Kevin because it's kind of what we did here. It's kind of what I like. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I don't know. I think Baltimore, what Coach Munkin Munkin has done over there has been pretty impressive. I think he's turned Baltimore into a team that is the most balanced team that I've seen in a long, long time. They can bust your mouth between the tackles, and they can air it out. And what he's done with Lamar, I don't know if he's changed any fundamentals or Lamar's just got more comfortable in the pocket. But he's throwing the ball really well, accurately, all types of throws, high crosses, deep deep overs, go balls, back shoulder throws. He's really accurate now. And before, when you played Baltimore, if you got ahead of him, you felt pretty good about it because Lamar couldn't throw to come back. Now that's not the case. Lamar is winging it all over the place. So I think Baltimore, that coach, has done a great job as well. I'd look at him as an interview.
3: Jay Gruden on G&D. Here on the fan. C.J. Stroud's had an incredible rookie year. Texans taking on the Ravens Saturday afternoon. And then Jordan Love seems to have proven he's the real deal in Green Bay. They're taking on the 49ers on the Saturday night slate at 815 East. Of those four quarterbacks, Jay Gruden's starting a team. You're drafting QBs 1-4. to four. Give me your rankings of Jackson, Stroud, Love, and Purdy going forward for your team that you're building.
0: Oh, my God, that's a good one. That is a good one.
1: I'd probably – I'm going forward right now starting today. Based on what I've seen this year, I'd probably – I'd, I'd take the known commodity. I'd take Lamar first probably. And I'd probably go CJ. And I'd probably go oh, Purdy and then Love. Or Love and Purdy. That'd be a toss-up. I mean, That
3: says a lot, though. I guess my point is not only about Stroud in one year, but how far Jordan Love's come, huh?
1: Unbelievable, Yeah, I, I didn't I, – I, you know, I graded Jordan Love coming out. I wasn't a huge fan. I thought he threw in the coverage a lot. Um, but, man, this guy's can – he can throw all – you know, what's impressive about him is his ability to throw at different arm angles and off his back foot when there's pressure coming. He just doesn't – he doesn't wince at all. He just throws off his back foot and throws sidearm over the top. And he's been very, very accurate. He doesn't look like the same guy he did in college, that's for sure. That's why some of these quarterbacks, they need some time to develop. And, and we're so quick to judge a guy based on one year. Did you give the guy time to sit or time to play a little bit, and they all of a sudden it clicks for him? They get more comfortable. They they, they see rushes. They see patterns. They anticipate throws better. And he's a great example of why you want to stick with a quarterback or give it a chance for the quarterback to grow a little bit.
4: Jay, what's your theory on this Philadelphia free fall? I mean, they were ten and one. It was I don't want to say an empty ten and one because you got to do a lot of things right to be ten and one. They probably won a couple of games maybe they shouldn't have. Fine. So they. You know, we're an eight and three team instead of a ten and one team in terms of real metrics, but they fell apart in a way that I, I can't really remember. What What do you think?
1: Yeah, a lot of reasons. Their defense is horrific. Um, they couldn't tackle, can't cover, couldn't rush a passer, and uh, that's a recipe for disaster. And then offensively, you know, I, I don't know what happened. I don't know if uh, I don't know what happened there. They're just not in sync. Their protection schemes are poor. Um, Jalen doesn't look comfortable. He looks like he's changed a little bit. I don't know if he. I don't know what happened to him. I don't know if he's injured or what. I think something has to do with his arm or his back or his finger or something. But he doesn't look like the same guy as uh, the reckless abandoned Jalen where he's running for first downs and playing physical football. Some quarterback design runs are really not doing anymore. So his strength was the ability to not only beat you with his arm, but with his legs. Now he's more one-dimensional, and that one dimension isn't playing very good.
3: Jay Gruden every Monday throughout the playoffs with us here on Grant and Danny. All right, so just running through the games this weekend, who's more on upset watch? Like, if I was to tell you one of these teams is going to have their game decided in the final seconds, Ravens hosting the Texans or Niners hosting the Packers?
1: I'd probably say the Packers. I don't see the Ravens losing, although I'd love you guys message Sloak, what he's done with that team, what C.J. Stroud's all about. And, obviously, uh, the defense, where they've improved under D'Amico Rides is just an incredible story. If he doesn't win Coach of the Year, there's somebody's, you know, they got to screw loose, but uh, I just think Baltimore's too much for them. I think Green Bay, the way they're playing right now, and Jordan Love, I would say San Francisco more so than uh, Baltimore. But I don't think either one, of them really, are going to have a problem. The only upset that I see happening is Kansas City. It's there. It's only a couple points at underdogs, but Kansas City, I think, will beat Buffalo.
4: Jay, before we get to that one, get into this Buccaneers-Lions matchup. Detroit at home, that atmosphere was electric. It was like this big release that they had a, their first playoff win there, what feels like a lifetime. Tampa Bay's kind of play with house money, though. Uh, I love Todd Bowles, how aggressive he is as, as a blitzer. I feel like they're going to try to do that maybe again this week. How do you see that matchup going?
1: Yeah, I think Detroit have a little bit better plan, and they got to be careful blitzing these guys at Detroit because they have some guys out of the backfield. With Gibbs, who can really hurt you bad, Laporta can hurt you at tight end. The St. Brown, he can win any one on one matchup they have. So they got to be real careful being that ruthless. I think AJ Brown not playing really let Todd Bowles be a lot more aggressive because only had to cover one guy and Devontae Smith. So uh, I don't see them blitzing like that. I think Detroit gets the win at home, and I think uh, you know I, you know Detroit or uh, Tampa Bay just struggled offensively the last few weeks of the season. They played good against Philadelphia, but I think Detroit will have a lot more. Uh, they'll, they'll play a lot better defense and offense against Tampa Bay.
3: I've been excited for Kansas City-Buffalo kind of looking ahead for this possibility for weeks, but the Bills just keep losing defensive starters. I just don't know yeah. if they're healthy enough now. They're still a couple of point favorite. I know they're at home. Mahomes has not had to go on the road in the playoffs, but this will be the best game of the weekend perhaps. Uh, a, what do you think about the game? And then B, who would actually be a better matchup, in your opinion, in terms of uh, Baltimore in the AFC title game if the Ravens get there?
1: Yeah, I'm just i I'm with you, uh, Grant, on the injuries for Buffalo. I think Coach McDermott's done an amazing job with that unit. They lose, lose their best linebacker, Milano. They lost uh, Smith, uh, Tredavious White, their best corner. Now they just keep losing guy after guy after guy. So I just don't think they have enough to stop Kansas City. And Kansas City has kind of morphed into a more physical team with Pacheco running the ball between the tackles. They're physical. They're physical up front. They have two really good guards, and I think they're going to move the pile a little bit and then give Patrick some time to throw. And if you give him time to throw, I like the fact that Rasheed Rice has developed into a true number one receiver to go along with Kelsey and Pacheco out of the backfield. I think that'll be too much for uh,
4: Buffalo. Jay, always a pleasure, man. We'll talk to you next week. All right, man. Thanks. Jay Gruden
3: on Grant and Danny on Mondays, breaking down the National Football League.
4: On air and on the road, Jay Gruden is driven by the Ted Britt Automotive Group, Ted Britt Ford and Chantilly and Fairfax, your F-150 headquarters, and Ted Britt Chevrolet and Sterling, home to Ted Britt for life, lifetime, vehicle coverage see and shop at
3: I want to get into Sloak versus Johnson. He just answered that question. So let's talk about that next on the fan.
0: Uh, They're both very effective. They both
1: have very good teams. I think Ben Johnson's probably a little bit better just because of, uh, you know, who the Detroit was and, and what they built there. Detroit has never been very good. They can't kind of came from nowhere. Um, they took Jared Goff, took a chance with Jared Goff, hit on some draft picks with Gibbs and Laporta and uh, obviously obviously or St. Brown. And they really built their offensive line the right way, too, through the draft with Frank Ragnow and that school guy. And they're strong up front, man. And uh, they're tough and they match the coach's identity, Coach Campbell. So it's a, it was a good fit. And then Ben has married um, what they do well with what Jared Goff does well. I like what they've done there.
3: That was Jay Gruden when we asked him last segment of the two young offensive-minded candidates that Washington will be interviewing, and they're the top two in this cycle. Ben Johnson, Detroit Lions, Bobby Slowick, Houston Texans. Who has he been more impressed by? Whose offense does he like more? And that was his answer there. You look at the Houston Texans coming off of just a masterpiece of a performance offensively in the first round of the playoffs obliterating a really good Cleveland Browns defense. I mean, Bobby Slowick ate the lunch of Jim Schwartz and that Cleveland defensive staff. Houston this year, 12th overall in yards per game. I like yards per play. They were 13th there. 29th against the run. I don't have a big problem with that necessarily, as long as you're really good against the pass, and they are. Mm -hmm. 7th against the pass. They were number two in picking off passes. They were... This is a pretty good group. Now, the flip side is the Detroit Lions, where top five for Detroit for another year under Ben Johnson, third.
4: Ben Johnson alert. Ben Johnson alert. Ben Johnson alert.
3: Two and a half seasons where he's been calling plays, where they've been top five. They were fifth running the ball. They were fourth passing the ball. They were 12th uh, at throwing interceptions. They were third at avoiding sacks. You know, so that's just a little numbers comp between the two of them. But Bobby Sloick's star is rising here. Well, yeah,
4: taking a, a, a rookie and some unheralded offensive players where but coming into the season, I mean, I was dead wrong. I go, I love Stroud, but you're setting the kid up to fail. There's nothing there for him. And now household, we think of Nico Collins as a superstar. I didn't before the season started. Yeah, so here's the the big question, I think, because Sloick's got that
3: Kyle Shanahan cologne, mm-hmm. and he gets receivers open, no doubt. Is Nico Collins a beast, or has he made him really good? Is Tank Dell a star where he would have been awesome wherever he got drafted? Or is he a Bobby Sloat creation? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying it's ever one or the other. It's always both. But which way does the the slider go? Right. Is it you know, 60-40 in one direction? Which is it? In other words, he may have luck boxed into, potentially... C.J. Stroud, who's an all-world quarterback that would have been great wherever he got drafted. Maybe if he went to Carolina, it'd be the Panthers who were playing in the second round of the playoffs, and Frank Reich would be a coach of the year, and Thomas Brown, their OC, would be getting head coaching interviews, right? I mean, is it that kind of quarterback? Are we talking about Tank Dell and Nico Collins and those guys being that type of receiver, or did Bobby Sloak make them all better? I, I happen to think it, it might be a little bit of Slowick, honestly. I mean... If he hadn't come from the Shanahan tree, and if you didn't see the scores on some of the separation grades for their receivers being really favorable, maybe I'd feel differently. But I think Slowick did a masterful job with those players this year.
4: There's no doubt about it, right? And again, like he couldn't get me open, so there's obviously a prerequisite. There's a threshold there. I'd be well covered. Yeah, like they would, they'd be blanketed. I would not be a threat for any yards after the catch. So there's a there's a threshold, but. I don't know that Nico Collins is the superstar that we just saw go for 1,300 yards and eight touchdowns in every offense. Right? There's some guys that are. Some guys get out of bed and it doesn't matter the scheme, the system, or whatever. They're going to get theirs. I don't know that Collins is there. Maybe he puts up another couple of years like this with you know without Bobby Sluk if he goes on to a head coaching gig. But the point is, Devin Singletary was an afterthought in Buffalo. For most of his career. And he wasn't even viewed as the starter. They had Damian Pierce, who was a thousand yard running back, who was physical and tough, and he became a, a backseat guy just because this is what fit Slowick's scheme. Now, they had more than maybe we thought initially, right? I mean, Laramie Tuncel is a superstar when it comes to being a left tackle. It allows you to do a lot of things uh, offensively. But hitting on that quarterback and having him ascend the way very few rookies have, and y- you could have all those great qualities and still not have the rookie year that he just had, leading a team. Uh, you know, to, to to beat the brakes off of somebody on the road the way that they did, I'm telling you, man, really, really impressive uh, for for Sloic. and he's a guy that I'm frankly not that excited about coming here, uh, being the head coach, just because there's it just feels like he's it's still he's too much of a neophyte to me. Still feels like there's not enough experience there, and maybe that means you miss out. I'm willing to miss though. Yeah, I think
3: that I need to see him do this a little more because we talk about leadership and running a building. This is going to sound worse than I want it to about Bobby Slowick. I am a Bobby Slowick fan. I'm I'm I'm, all, I'm in the fan club now. Okay, he he has won me over. I'm not spending six billion dollars on a team to hand it over to Bobby Slowick. Does that make any sense? Like I just bought this team for six billion dollars and went and got Adam Peters, the most sought after guy to pick players, and I'm going to hand that over to. There's 32 of these jobs in the world. The guy who was labeling tapes here in 2010 and, you know, the assistant linebackers coach, 11 through 13 under that epic Shanahan staff. Now, that does not take into account all of the things that he's done since, which are impressive. He's been in San Francisco since 2017. He was out of football for a few years, worked at PFF among some other gigs. Defensive quality control initially. I read where Kyle basically put him on the defensive side of the ball. Bobby wanted to work on offense. And he said, you're going to learn defense first. Best way to be great at offense is to learn defense. And that was always Mike Shanahan's way that he did things with his staff. Guys like LaFleur and McVay, they would have to learn everything on the defensive staff from Hazlitt, Raheem Morris, before they could start doing stuff on offense. Clearly, that's a prerequisite that a lot of coaches should have Mm -hmm. because it's worked. So he was defensive quality control for two seasons. But we're talking about an offensive assistant label as recently as the 2020 pandemic season. Which is to say, like, he was not in charge of a position group, right? He was just kind of helping on the offensive side of the ball in 2020. He's, frankly, he's never had a a position group that he ran. Now, an offensive pass game specialist, I would imagine he is talking to the offense, he's addressing the entire group, he's going over red zone or third down or something occasionally, he's going over the packages they're installing, so I think some of that natural leadership stuff comes, but He got the offensive pass game coordinator in San Francisco, had it for one season. That's not a coordinator, but it's the closest thing they have because of Kyle. (laughs) He's basically the OC. But you don't have the play calling duties. And I'd imagine Kyle's doing most of the stuff in meetings, but I'm sure you get to do some of it. Then this year became the coordinator in Houston, and you see him on the sideline, very active with Stroud, in his ear, talking to him, going over the tablet, hugging him, smiling, high-fiving him. They have a great relationship, it seems like. A couple of young dudes that are finding their way in the league together. I just wonder, it's 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 been one season where he's been an OC, and unlike Ben Johnson, he didn't run a tight ends room, he didn't run wide receivers. There's just less resume
4: to me, and that's where I feel better about Johnson, who's in year three, calling plays. Well, we talk about this all the time with with draft picks. I I am willing to make a mistake on a I don't know. Uh, I'm trying to think of a good example, like the guy that put up huge numbers. At a major D1 school that played in meaningful games, did it in front of 110,000 people in the Big Ten or the SEC or otherwise, over the like, this guy played one game at the D3 level but was electric doing that. Like, like, give me, I know it's easy to say now because C.J. Stroud is so good, but give me C.J. Stroud over Trey Lance every time. You know what I mean? Like, I, I will default to that, to the, to the major college production. It means I'll miss out sometimes. I'll miss out on some of the, like, the Dante Culpeppers, the Josh Allens of the world, right? I will. I'll miss on those guys sometimes. I'll also probably miss on John Harbaugh here and there. I'll probably miss on a few different kind of coaches that kind of came from obscurity or didn't really run the offensive side or the defensive side or you know haven't been kind of worked their way up the ladder. I might miss some of these dudes at the risk of not handing it to somebody that's just totally overwhelmed and setting me back. So that's I'm, maybe I'm risk-averse well, in yeah, that way? I, I, I view it, you said
3: this slightly differently a minute or two ago. I view it as are you going to be early or late potentially? hmm like if you hire Bobby Slowick, I think the risk is way bigger than it is with Ben Johnson. I think the risk is way bigger, probably even than it is frankly with Mike McDonald. And I know he's 36 years old, but you're talking about more time as a coordinator and he's done it in multiple buildings. Coaching in college is a little bit different, but Michigan is not like coaching at Texas El Paso, you know? <laughs> right. I mean, you're coaching NFL players on a staff with Jim Harbaugh. You know, you got a bunch of coaches and Folks around you, you've been in the NFL. I think when we talk about, oh, I'm just nervous, you know, you got to be a leader. They got to be able to to run the meetings. Like that kind of stuff that we reference. I think the guesswork and the uncertainty for me is biggest with Sloan at this point. Uh, mm-hmm. not, not to say I'm not utterly impressed. I am. How could the, you not be? At the yeah. beginning of the year, I, I've said this on the show a lot, but plenty of people probably haven't heard it. I was really skeptical because it, it, it's the equivalent of like if Danny's friend in high school had a little brother, okay? Today, when he brings up his little brother's name to you on the phone, when you picture him, you're picturing a seven year old kid. That kid is probably now 38 years old or yeah. whatever.
4: And runs a fortune 500 company. Exactly.
3: (laughs) Yeah. When I picture Bobby Sloak, I'm just trying to be as fair as possible. Like my bias in this, Mm -hmm. I picture the guy that like Brian Arakpo is having, like go get his helmet taped or whatever. And like, that's how I knew him. And then when he got back into the league in San Francisco, right away, I could see, Oh, they're fast tracking him. And as soon as he got the pass game coordinating title under Kyle, I thought, Oh my God, Bobby Sloak's going to be a head coach in the NFL in the next five years. That was two years ago. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. That that was before this past season. Uh So he is on a rocket ship, and it is amazing, and I'm so happy for him. It's really cool. He's got a brother who's a linebacker's coach with the Dolphins. His dad was a longtime DB's coach, and I think even a coordinator for Mike Shanahan. I think he's got another brother who's a scout for a team in the NFL. This is like football through and through family. If they hired him, I would totally understand it. And as I said last week, as crazy as it sounds, I would rather hire him than some of the old guard, like the the Belichick types or the second-time coordinators like Dan Quinn, even though I really wonder about him running the team and and giving the speeches. Mm -hmm. But is Mike McDaniel great at that? I mean, I watch Hard Knocks. He doesn't give a good speech. He is quirky and kind of unique and I don't want to say weird, but like a different He's odd, yeah. He is odd. But he's himself, like, and that works for players. Like, he's just—he's going to give you a chance with X's and O's. He's going to be strange for six days a week, and like, guys love it. It seems like,
4: and it's worked. Totally. But then we're trying to recreate that lightning in a bottle sort of thing is always is always a risk too. I mean, that's true. There's, it, it's so uncertain, and and we speak with certainty when it comes to decisions that we, where we don't have data yet, right? With draft picks, with you know, coaches and otherwise. I'm a little bit more risk-averse, which again goes back to a previous conversation where I would go, I would st- I would just be kicking the tires on one of these guys that's done it at a high level. Not necessarily, a, to me, like the retread Super Bowl champ, superstar that's been somewhere else coming here wanting more power. I'm not into that. That's a no for me, dog. The like, still hungry, I haven't gotten over the mountaintop just yet, I'm willing to do whatever it takes kind of guy. I'd be kicking the tires there. But I understand the appeal here. I do because the upside is is obvious. But look where look where he was four years ago, and look where he is right now. Yeah.
3: I mean, if fast forward another four years, you could have right. a if it continues on this trend, the guy uh-huh. who's coaching deep into the playoffs uh, as a you know forty two year old in the NFL, straight out of the McVeigh Lafleur book, so to speak. Question for you guys is if their proclivity is what I presume it to be, which is to say that they are hunting a young offensive mind. Slowick versus Johnson, how do you handicap that? 800-636-1067 is how you get a hold of us
0: on the MGM National Harbor listener lines on the fan.
4: We're taking you up to 6.30. Mark Schlereth
3: joins the show at 6, our weekly appointment with him, and at that time, we'll be giving away one pair of Wizards tickets to a lucky listener. Got to be listening right at the top of the hour. Remember to go buy your tickets for the Fan versus the Team 980 event, Bethesda Theater, February 2nd, 8 p.m. The whole lineup, the Junkies, B, Mitch, and Finley, me and Danny are going to be there, the whole crew from 980 as well. It's going to be quite a night. You should buy tickets. It's going to be fun. We are uh, going to be on stage. We're going to be kind of uh, off the record, so to speak, and it's
4: going to be a good time. I'm excited about it. These events that we used to do all the time pre-pandems were always a blast. Just experiences you can't get anywhere else. Just all the guys getting together because our schedules are so different and we barely see the junks. Uh, Being able to take the stage with them and be mentioned family, it's going to be a blast. It's going to be so, so much fun. Sharing all the stories. We'll do the normal sports debate stuff, which you kind of got you get every day, but everyone had a chance to kind of like throw haymakers at each other. But it's the behind-the-scenes type access, uh, unfiltered, that you don't get anywhere else. So we're talking
3: Sloak versus Johnson here. I want to throw to the Jay Gruden cut in a moment, Darius, because I asked him who he's been more impressed by when it comes to those two uh, coordinators this year. Those are the two offensive-minded guys that Washington is interviewing in this cycle. Uh, ben Johnson of Detroit has done this longer. It's two and a half years calling plays, and they've been top five in the NFL during that time. Sloan's group was just outside of the top ten this year, but he did it with a rookie quarterback. Now, Jared Goff, that's a guy that's played in a Super Bowl before he came over for Detroit. Now, I still give Johnson a lot of credit. This was a reclamation project. Mm-hmm. He had some really mediocre production early in Detroit, and before that in L.A., there was like a year where touchdowns and picks were pretty comparable. Jared Goff was A guy that was run out of L.A., essentially.
4: Yeah. Just wasn't playing well, and Ben Johnson fixed him. Well, there have been two times where he's put up really, really good numbers, working with excellent offensive minds, right? So there's a correlation there. When he doesn't have Sean McVay, when he doesn't have Ben Johnson, the numbers are pretty dreadful. When he does, ta-da. So what does it tell you? What's your translation? Ben Johnson and Sean McVay. Interesting. They're pretty similarly uh, qualified offensive minds. I think
3: Slowick maybe had a more impressive year just – it's hard to say that, but here's my argument, maybe, in that it was surprising. Like, It's hard to be impressed mm. when someone who's very handsome looks handsome, when someone who's very fast runs fast. You're not blown away. Impressed is kind of synonymous to me with, like, almost you're, you're taken aback, you're surprised a little bit. Slowick did a thing that no one saw coming. Ben Johnson, it was just ho-hum. The really good coordinator ran mm-hmm. a really good offense, and they did what they've done the last couple of years with him calling plays, which is be one of the best in football. This was Jay Gruden's answer Earlier this hour on G uh,
1: they're both very effective. They both have very good teams. I think Ben Johnson's probably a little bit better just because of uh, you know who the Detroit was and, and what they built there. Detroit has never been very good. They can't kind of came from nowhere. Um, they took Jared Goff, took a chance with Jared Goff, hit on some draft picks with Gibbs and Laporta, and uh, obviously obviously I'm on St. Brown. And they really built their offense line the right way too through the draft Frank Ragnow and that school guy. And, they're strong up front, man, and uh, they're tough, and they match the coach's identity, Coach Campbell, so it's a, it was a good fit. And then Ben has married um, what they do well with what Jared Goff does well. I like what they've done there.
3: The only thing I will say maybe that I put a check mark in Sloak's column for is a big Ben Johnson backer is he's worked with a rookie quarterback that was taken second overall last year. Little bonus point there maybe because you've got a rookie quarterback that you're going to take second overall probably – you're handing to a coordinator turned head coach this year. So maybe he gets a little extra credit for that.
4: Yeah, and a bunch of unknowns or, or castoffs. Devin Singletary, not a thing. Now a thing down there. No one know, knew about Nico Collins or Tank ben Dell Johnson's or other Ben Johnson's done a lot of that too, though, with, with castoffs. Guys well, like Josh Reynolds. or yeah. you know,
3: I'm, But there, there's one of those two that had a top two pick at quarterback this year, and, and you're going to have that this season to hand to one of these guys. Let's go to Tony in Long Island. What's up,
0: Tony? Guys, how you been, man? Hey, buddy. How refreshing has the last week of your life been as a Washington fan? The
4: very, best. Very.
0: <laughs> the best. Oh, God. Does, doesn't the air feel thinner? Like, it just feels – everything in life feels different. It just – it's incredible. It really is. Um, you got to give Ben Johnson huge uh, odds against Slowick as the favorite. And I'm going to go to one thing, and that's assembling a coaching staff. I think Ben Johnson, since it's his second go-around – has been looking at his coaching staff, has been taking the temperature of people around the league who wants to be on his staff, and I think he's way advanced in that, whereas Slowick, like you had mentioned, was just an offensive assistant just a few years ago, and I don't think in his wildest dreams he would be in this position. So he's almost, I would almost say, he's got to be scrambling mentally saying, okay, great who, point. who am I getting as a coaching so staff? Put,
3: uh, sorry, we're up against the clock, so I apologize. i got to cut you off. I hate doing It's a great point, buddy. Oh, he's a stud, but... Yeah, that's a really good point. A, a building of a staff could be more difficult for Slowick at this point. Let's talk to Schlereth
2: next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget.